friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. Now we're ready to go to God's Word, and I'd like to request everybody to please rise from their seats right now as we read Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful Sunday morning, O God. We thank you for your goodness and love towards us. I also thank you for my wife's birthday, O Lord. I pray that you bless her. I pray that she delights in you continually and that you will grant the desires of her heart. And today, Father, I seek your grace upon my lips and upon my mind that I might be your voice to your people this morning. And I pray, give me boldness and confidence to be able to share your word without any hesitation, without being tentative. And I pray that as the word of God is preached, It might bring conviction in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that whatever it is that you have desired or designed for us this morning, Lord, it shall be fulfilled, it shall be consummated. And Lord, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Consistent Generosity. Now, when you do a little study of this particular passage that we just read a while ago, there is a theme that you will observe in this particular passage, and it has to do with the consistency of the Philippians' giving, number one, to the work of the Lord as well as to the workers of the Lord. Specifically, they had ministered to the needs of Paul himself. Now, this is seen in the present. Uh, When I say present, of course, I mean at the time when Paul wrote this letter. And this is seen as well in the past. So their generosity was seen in the present as well as in the past. Now, one of the best ways to describe this church is that it is a generous church. It is a generous church. Now, the reason why they gave consistently to Paul was because they were sensitive to minister to Paul's needs. They were well aware that Paul himself had personal needs, and if nobody took care of those needs, Paul would not be able to survive because he was in prison. And so, our subject matter or our topic this morning can be divided into two parts. 
So the first part, we will be talking about their present generosity. And again, I'm saying this at the time of the writing. And then we will also talk about their past generosity. Now, as we talk about the subject matter of giving, I know that there are a lot of people who feel uncomfortable when we start speaking about the subject matter of giving. And to be honest as well, I too have a little difficulty in sharing the subject matter of giving as well. There is uh, hesitation and tentativeness on my part at times to talk about the subject matter of giving, most especially because I know that there are some people who have malicious minds, and so at times they think ill of a preacher and a minister of God the moment he starts talking about giving. Nevertheless, I need to point out that giving is something that is found in the Scriptures. And this is something that we cannot avoid discussing before the church because this is very important to the Lord. And I'd like to be able to say that giving is actually part of our worship to the Lord. And some of you might say, why even talk about money when we talk about worship? Can't we just talk about singing unto the Lord? Can't we just talking about the Word of God being preached to God's people? Why talk about giving? Well, some of us fail to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, in one of His statements in the gospel, actually presented money as one of His chief rivals. And that is why in the gospels, He says to us, that we cannot serve both God and mammon. We cannot serve both God and money. So unfortunately, there are some people who have made money a God to themselves. They worship on the altar of success. They worship on the altar of prosperity. And all their lives, their minds are occupied with accumulating more and more money. And I find that rather unfortunate because life is actually more than money. But many people, however, have focused on money, causing them to be covetous, causing them to be greedy, causing them to be materialistic. So the question is, how do we prove to God that we do not worship money? How do we prove to God that God is our supreme treasure? Well, the only way you and I can prove that we love God is in the matter of giving. That is how we prove our love for God. Because when we start giving, we are in effect saying to God, Lord, you are more important than money. I'm willing to give this up, Lord, if this is what you want from me, if this is what you want me to sacrifice, Lord, this is just money. You are God. You are the supreme creator of the universe. I owe you everything. And that is something that God wants us to recognize. In fact, in the book of James, it says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And so it is very important that we be able to acknowledge that whatever we have in this life, whatever blessings we have, it comes from the hand of God. So in truth, if you really think about it, we are merely stewards. We're not really the owners 
of what we receive. If we have received it from the hand of God, it is merely lent to us. And as stewards, we serve as managers and not owners. And if Jesus happens to be Lord of our lives, then He should be Lord of every aspect of our lives, including that of money. So that's the first thing. And secondly, when we talk about the subject matter of giving, we need to understand that when we talk about the kingdom of God and when we talk about church work, when we talk about missions, whether we like it or not, it involves money. Let me talk about some of our own churches, and some of them are in places where there is conflict. They are in places that are quite dangerous. For example, we have a church in Basilan. And you and I know that's not a very safe place to be in, to minister, most especially as a pastor. And yet, I would like to be able to commend our pastors and ministers who have served in that area. You know, it is common occurrence that every now and then in that city, there would be bombings. It, was so da- it is so dangerous, and just to give you a picture of it, I did the wedding of our former pastor in Basilan. And when I did the wedding in that place, for the very first time, we had armed guards, all right, uh, inside the wedding venue. The wedding venue, I think, happened to be in our own church facility at that time. And so while I was conducting the wedding ceremony, right in the aisle, right in the middle, at the back, was somebody with a long firearm, all right? And so it's really it was really something that was different and really strange as far as I was concerned. I've never encountered that kind of a situation, most especially in a wedding ceremony. And I recall the time after the, uh, after the wedding, we, uh, we had the time of celebration, and the celebration was in the beach. And so I rode on top of the jeep, all right? So I didn't ride inside. I was on top of the jeep, and I was with armed men. And sometimes there were trees, you know, up above us, and so I would do like this, trying to avoid the branches of the trees. And while everybody was in the beach, there were armed guards as well. So friends, you know, that is what ministry is all about. There are some people who are risking their lives, risking their own families. For what? For the sake of the gospel. For what? For the sake of preaching the Word of God. For what reason? To be able to reach lost souls. Friends, let me ask you this question. How many of you would like to be assigned to Basilan? Raise your hands, please. Any volunteers? Nobody wants to volunteer. But here's my point. Of course, we Unless God calls us, we would not go to Basilan. But my whole point is how do we participate? How do we participate in mission work? How do we help the pastor or the work that is existing in that place? How do we help the ministers who want to reach out to people who do not know the gospel? It is here that we understand that giving is very important. 
Because while we are not there physically present in that place, we have our own representative. And we are saying to that pastor who is assigned in that place, we are with you. And our desire is to bless you so that you can continue the work, so that you can reach lost souls. So that is my point, friends. So as much as we do not want to talk about the subject matter of giving, we have to talk about it because it is part of our worship and it is part of kingdom work. And that being the case, I hope I have been able to lay a very strong foundation for us this morning so that we get to appreciate this passage which Paul is expounding to us. And so let's first of all talk about present generosity. And again, let me just remind you, when I say present generosity, I mean at the time of Paul's writing this letter. So let's read verse 14 once again. It says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Now, of course, we need to determine the context of the word nevertheless. So this goes back to Paul's previous statements. And what did he say previously? Well, we just had our previous sermon, and we learned that Paul said, I have learned the secret of being content. So Paul, in effect, was really saying, you know what? I don't really need material things. I don't need to be a very prosperous person. Even where I am, I am well content because my satisfaction is found in the Lord. And he was saying that God had taught him well to be able to appreciate life, whether he had lack or he had plenty. Now, when he said that, however, he did not want to sound like he did not appreciate the way the Philippian believers ministered to him because remember, I think I mentioned to you in the previous sermon that they sent Paul a love gift. They sent Paul some love offerings. And the reason being, he needed it because he was under house arrest and he needed to provide for for himself meals. And so Paul was saying, nevertheless, you have done well to share in my affliction. So in effect, what he was saying is, you know what? I am a very content person. I, I, I know what I have, and I have this relationship with the Lord. But let me tell you, I appreciate what you are doing. That's the point of the word, nevertheless. Although he was saying that contentment was found in the strength in the Lord, he was saying, I am appreciative of the love gift that you gave to me because it came at a time when I actually needed it. So indirectly, Paul was saying, thank you very much. Thank you for your concern. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being sensitive to my own needs. So again, that is what Paul intended by writing this statement. Now, this, however, tells us that this church, the Philippian church, was a church that was sensitive and generous, and they looked to minister to the needs of the ministers of God. Again, just a little reminder, Paul being under house arrest had to pay his own rental. 
and he had to supply his own meal. So he was actually at the mercy of other people. So thankfully, the Philippian church helped him out in this situation. And that is why Paul says to them, they did well. Again, reading verse 14, it says, You have done well to share with me in my affliction. Now, I believe that when Paul said they did well, he, it was not so much because his affliction was relieved, but rather, I think he was really appreciative of this display of Christian love. And if there is something that should describe believers in Christ, we should actually be described as people of love. Let me cite to you a very important passage, and this time I'm going to lift it from 1 John chapter 3 and verses 16 to 17. Could you please uh, take a look at this? And again, reading it, it goes, We know love by this, that He, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? I'd like to break this down just so we can appreciate what John was trying to say to us in this particular passage. He, it says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. The greatest display, the greatest expression of love was the cross. It was there that Jesus Christ showed to us that He loved mankind. Let me remind you that Christ was under no obligation to die for the sins of men. Our sinful situation is our own fault. It is not the fault of the Son of God. It is not the fault of Jesus Christ. And yet, because Jesus saw that we were needful of redemption and salvation, He volunteered for the task of atoning for our sins. And for that, we are eternally grateful to Him. Now, look at what John was trying to do here. He was trying to set this up. He was trying to put Jesus as the supreme example so that you and I would likewise follow the example of Jesus of making sacrifices as well. Now, here's the ultimate sacrifice that we can make, as the Bible says. It says, let me just read it again. It says, He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Could you say this with me? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, could you say this to your neighbor? Look at your neighbor and say, I will lay down my life for you. Uh, what does that smile mean? Now, I know some of you are thinking, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, I'm just making you confess that. 
just for you and I to be able to judge and evaluate the content of our hearts and just for us to know where exactly we are as far as compassion, as far as kindness, as far as a willingness to sacrifice is concerned. And I believe that most of us are thinking, yes, that's what the Bible says, I ought to lay down my life for the brethren, but I'm not going to do that. But you know what the Bible is trying to say? The Bible is trying to say that if we want to be able to show our love for people, if we want to be able to show our love to the church and to our fellow believers, we must be willing to show and display our love towards them in a way that we are willing to sacrifice even our lives. That is the measure of love. That is the extent of love that we need to be showing to God's people. Now, I know some of you may not be willing to do that as of this time, but let me share to you the story of Corey Ten Boom. I think some of you are well acquainted with the Nazi Holocaust, wherein millions of Jews were exterminated. Some of them died in gas chambers. Some of them died because of torture. And so many of them fled because of the persecution. Some of them hid in the homes of very kind and very loving people, just like Corrie Ten Boom. You know what Corrie Ten Boom did together with her family is she made a hiding place inside her home. And in this hiding place, she, she would bring Jews who were in hiding, and, and, and she would hide them so that when the soldiers came, they would not find out these uh, Jews. There came a time, however, that it was discovered that Corrie Ten Boom was hiding Jews inside their home. And to make a long story short, she was arrested together with her sister, and she suffered a lot. She was able to survive the prison camp, however, and she lived to be able to tell her story. And her story is, is a wonderful story. It's, it's a very inspirational story. Whenever I read about Corrie Ten Boom, I can say to myself, this is a person who really loves. This is a person with, with genuine compassion and genuine kindness. And friends, if we are believers in Christ, if we belong to the church, God is calling us to be willing to lay down our lives for the brethren. He may not actually call us to do so, but the question is, are you willing? Are you willing to lay down your life for the brethren? That is the full extent of love that we should be willing to give to our brothers and sisters. Now, of course, we understand we are not in a situation similar to the Nazi Holocaust. And so the question is, how do I express my love to my fellow brothers? How do I express my love to my sisters in the Lord? Well, take a look at verse 17. And here's a, a practical way to be able to show our love towards others. It says, but whoever has the world's goods 
and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So here's how I can show my love to my fellow brother or to my fellow sister. If I see somebody who has a need in the Lord, I should be willing to be the answer to this person's problem. I must be willing to minister to the needs of people because that proves that the love of God is in my heart. That proves that I am truly a believer in Christ because that is exactly what has happened when we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. What happened, as Romans 5 verse 5 says, the love of God had been poured out into our hearts so that the same quality of love that Jesus was able to give to people is the same quality of love that we can give to others as well. Why? Because it is the love of God through the Holy Spirit that is at work in our hearts. Which likewise tells us that if we are going to display love towards others, we must yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells inside of us. Many times we sense this tug in our hearts. God is speaking to us and telling us, you need to give, you need to share, you need to love, you need to help out this brother who is in need, or you need to help out this sister who is in dire need of something. And that, that tug of your heart is coming from, from the Holy Spirit. And if you are going to be obedient to what God wants you to do, you need to minister to the needs of people. And so, this is exactly what we see in this church. This church was a church of love. But not only was it a church of love, their giving to Paul means that they were obedient as well to God's Word to minister to God's workers. Take a look at Galatians chapter 6 and verses 6 to 9, please. Galatians 6 verses 6 to 9. It reads, the one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now, in this particular case, when we talk about the Philippian church, who was their mentor? Who was their discipler? Who was their Bible teacher? Who was their pastor? It was none other than Paul himself. Now, what are they to do? In the case of Paul, again, the Bible says, the one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And again, as we talk about this particular subject matter, let me bring you back to the subject matter of missions. You and I know that there are many areas in the world wherein the gospel is needed, 
We talk about Africa. We talk about portions of China. We talk about uh, the Middle Eastern countries. We talk about uh, the tribes people. There are so many areas in the world where the gospel needs to be preached. And let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, whether we like it or not, kingdom work involves sending people into these places. Let me ask you this question. How many would like to be a missionary in Saudi Arabia? Raise your hands, please. Again, no hands. <laughs> How many would like to go to Africa? Raise your hands. How many would like to go to, to Vietnam? All right. Nobody's raising their hands. But you and I know that people need to be sent to those places. Now, the question is, how do we send people to those places? Obviously, here is where money is involved. There is actually a practical aspect to the work of the kingdom. We cannot simply say, well, I will pray that the people in Africa, the people in China, the people in Vietnam will be, be receptive to the Word of God. I pray that they will receive the gospel. Romans chapter 10 says that unless they hear the gospel, they will not receive it. They need to hear it. And the Bible says in Matthew 28, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we obey that? How do we fulfill that unless we send people into the mission field? Now, the question is, who is going to send them to the mission field? The one who is going to send them to the mission field is the church. We cannot expect the people in the world to send missionaries because they do not even understand the gospel. But we understand the gospel. We understand redemption. We understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we understand this, unless people accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives, they are doomed to hell. Now, the question is, what do we do about that? Do we simply sit down and do nothing? Do we simply wish well people outside? Do we simply wish that people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ without any effort, without any participation on our part? Let me tell you this, it's not going to happen. The only way people are going to be reached is when you and I participate in the work of the Lord. You and I do not want to be in those rocky and hard places. You and I do not want to be inconvenienced. You and I do not want to experience discomfort. And these are the very sacrifices that our missionaries that our pastors, our workers are willing to do for the sake of the gospel. They risk their own lives, their own families for the sake of the kingdom. Do you know, one of the churches that I visited is uh, Kidapawan. How many of you have, have been to Kidapawan? All right, some of you have been there. It's not a very safe place. 
But one time I was able to visit uh, our church there, and they placed me in a hotel that was just right in front of the mayor's house. And the reason why they placed me in a hotel right, you know, right in front of the mayor's house was because they felt it would be safe for me in that place. Right after I left, there was a bomb threat. And so there was panic in the city because they had to check out if the bomb threat was real. And Pastor Flora Pagikan would tell me that, you know, when you go to those places in Mindanao, there are many checkpoints. Let me tell you, not all of those checkpoints are military checkpoints. And that is why I recall Brother Robert was sharing that he was able to, to go into those areas and the driver recognized that it was not a military checkpoint. And they knew that their lives were at risk, so they really sped up. And good thing they were able to survive that. They were, they were not shot at. Nothing happened to them, but it was really a scary moment for them. These are some of the risks that some of the missionaries get into. And that is why, as they risk their lives, the very least we can do is to be able to help them out, supply whatever they need, so that as they have food for themselves and for their families, they can go about doing the work of the Lord, which you and I may not even be willing to do. And here's where I think it is very important on our part to understand we're all in this as participants in the work of the Lord. We cannot simply sit down and watch a dying world go to hell. Every second, many people are dying. Every second, people are dying into a Christless eternity. And the question is, what do we do about it? Now, I believe that if there was somebody who was uncomfortable in sharing the, on the matter of giving, it was Paul himself. You will notice in the book of Corinthians how, how he was so defensive when he talked about the matter of giving. He talked about the fact that he worked as a tent maker, not receiving any material help from the Corinthian church. Why? Because he understood that he might be perceived as a peddler of the Word of God. He might be perceived as a religious shenanigan. So that instead of depending on them for material resources, he instead worked as a tent maker. But you and I know that Paul would have been more effective if he worked full-time. If he did not have to do tent making, if he did not have to do leather work, he would have been more effective if he worked full-time in the ministry. But because of the perception of people, he had no choice. He had to work as a tent maker. And Paul here speaks about something that he felt was very important for future generations and for the church at that present time. And so again, he says, the one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And here is where we see that God is watching. God is watching how we respond in this matter of giving. Notice what verse 7 says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. In other words, what this is saying is that God is watching us. How do we respond in the matter of giving? How do we respond in the participation of the work of the gospel? And the Bible is saying here, God is not mocked. We cannot fool God. We can say we love God, but God is going to tell us, well, prove to me that you love me. Because the way you prove your love for me is you love my work. You love lost souls. You love the work of the church. You love missions. That's how you prove you love me. And the Bible says very clearly, here is what happens when we withhold what is supposed to be given to God. It says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What does that mean when it says, he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption? What this simply means is this. Everything that we have, everything that we own, every money that we accumulate, we will not be able to bring to heaven. All of those things that we accumulate in this world, we will not be able to bring to the next life. That's what it means when it says, from the flesh will reap corruption. So friends, think about this. We should be investing for the future because we are people of the future. Some of us, unfortunately, are not even thinking about our eternal destiny. On the other hand, those who take the matter of giving as a matter of worship and participation in the work of the gospel, here is your reward. It says, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, that does not mean to say that you will attain to salvation because you are a giver. No, that's not what it means. It simply means this. You are laying up treasures in heaven. When you participate in the work of the Lord by giving to the work of the Lord and the workers of the Lord, the Bible says you will reap rewards in heaven. And obviously, if you are a person who believes that you have eternal life, you will invest in the future. Because how long do we get to live in this life? The Bible says life is but a vapor. It is fleeting. It is brief. It is only for a moment. So why invest in this life? I think we should put our focus on investing in the next life. But let's talk about <coughs> the practical and material aspect of this in verse 9. While we believe that there are rewards in eternity, we also believe that verse 9 speaks about rewards in this life as well. It says, let us not lose heart in doing good. Watch this. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So I believe what it is speaking about here is not just eternal rewards. This is also speaking about temporal and material rewards in this life. Now, how will we receive that? 
by continually sowing good, by not losing heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if, that is a conditional statement, if we do not grow weary. I've talked to some business people in this church, people who have become very successful. One person I talked to um, became a chief executive officer of a prestigious company. Another person is a businessman. And, And all these people have told me this thing. And, you know, it's amazing how they make very similar statements. This is what they said. People do not know what they are missing when they are not giving to the work of the Lord. Let me say it again. People do not know what they are missing when they are not giving to the work of the Lord. And they would testify that whatever prosperity, whatever blessing, whatever promotion, whatever salary raise they have received is all as a result of the fact that they have been consistent givers to the Lord. Now, our problem sometimes is this. Our problem sometimes is we think that if we give today, immediately tomorrow, we will receive a return. Now, think about this. What is the picture given to us by Paul here? The picture is farming. Say farming, please. The picture is agriculture. Say agriculture. Now, here's the thing. When you plant something today, do you immediately have a harvest tomorrow? No. You and I know there is a waiting season. There is a season for harvest. And so when you plant something today, do not expect that immediately tomorrow you will receive a return. In the meantime, what you and I need to be doing, doing rather, is to continually sow good seed. Because as we do that, the Bible says, in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. And so here is what the Bible exhorts us to. We need to be hard-working farmers. Because only then will we receive a reward from the Lord. And mind you, brothers and sisters, here's one thing I've always understood and experienced with God. We can never, ever outgive God. Amen? We can never, ever outgive God. God is no man's debtor. And it would be good for us to understand that. So, The first part had to do with their present generosity, but let's talk about their past generosity. Now, it is important to note that this generosity that they displayed at the present time was not just something that they did on that occasion. Paul actually cites to us two previous occasions when they had shown generosity to Paul, which basically talks about consistent generosity. By the way, that's the reason why I have entitled our message this morning as consistent generosity. Because we should not just give on rare occasions. Giving should be a lifestyle on the part of fellow believers. 
I was talking to a fellow brother just very recently, and he, and he said this. He, he said something I've never heard before. He said, I'm thrilled with giving. I am thrilled with giving. I enjoy giving. You know, I believe that we can honestly say that we have matured in the Lord when we can say to ourselves about money, it's just money. When you are able to say, you know what, it's just money. If you are able to say that sincerely and honestly, it only means one thing. God happens to be your supreme treasure, and that is how it is supposed to be. So going back to the example of the Philippian church, let's talk about their generosity to Paul after Paul had left Macedonia. Let's take a look at verse 15. Take a look, please, at verse 15 now. It says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Let me repeat the last phrase. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Now, what does this tell us? This tells us that the Philippian church had always been generous, all right? They had always been generous. They were not just generous to Paul at the time of his writing. They were generous even during a past occasion. Now, a little background is needful here, which tells us that this church was the only church that was sensitive enough to minister to the needs of Paul. In the very beginning of their Christian experience, which is found in Acts chapter 16, when Paul left Macedonia, they alone shared with Paul in the matter of giving and receiving. The church had entered into what I would like to call or phrase as instant generosity in this aspect, a tribute that they were actually yielded to the Holy Spirit. I recall one time, and just, just to testify and share what, what this means in a practical way, I recall one time I was already in, in ministry. I was doing Bible studies. I was very young and very young in ministry at that, and I only had 20 pesos in my pocket. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and He said, I want you to give everything that you have right now in your pocket. And I was rationalizing to the Lord. I said, Lord, you know I need this money to go to a Bible study. If you're going to ask me, Lord, to give this, this money to you, what will I have to be able to go to that Bible study? And God spoke to my heart and said, just give. So I took an envelope from, from, from the church uh, chair, and I put my 20 pesos, and I put the money in the tithes and offering box. You know what happened? Immediately right after that, somebody approached me and said, there is a sister who wants to talk to you. Now, I have never met this sister, not acquainted with her. She was a complete stranger to me. 
And she approached me later on and she said, Pastor Mel, or actually I was not yet a pastor, she said, Brother Mel, the Lord had been speaking to my heart that I should give you something. And that really amazed me because, again, as I mentioned, she was a complete stranger to me. And yet God had spoken to her heart in previous days, and she handed me an envelope. Guess how much she gave me in that envelope. She gave me 200 pesos. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen? Now think about this. If I did not give the 20, do you, th do you think God would have given me the 200? I don't think so. But you see, that is what God wants to happen with all of us. He wants us to yield to the Holy Spirit. And the fact that this church early in the ministry of Paul, early in the existence of this church, were already giving to Paul, it was a tribute to the fact that they were yielding themselves to the Holy Spirit. And so this was something really commendable in that church. Now, I'd like you to take note of the phrase, no church shared with me, which implies, therefore, that there were churches at that time that were not yet mature in the matter of giving. Antioch, for example, offered nothing except prayers and good wishes for Paul. It was also only later on that the churches of Berea and Thessalonica gave to Paul as found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. And what is of greater interest is the fact that Thessalonica was actually a wealthier city. And not only was it a wealthier city, it was a very influential city. Yet this church early on did not give anything to Paul. And yet this church, Philippi, which as the book of 2 Corinthians describes to us, was in rock-bottom poverty nevertheless gave to Paul. Isn't that interesting? It should be a wealthy church that should be supporting Paul. And yet it was a church that was in rock-bottom poverty that was supporting the ministry of Paul, which tells us, listen well, poverty is not an excuse for not giving. Some people say, well, God will understand that I cannot give anything because I am a needy person. Friends, take a look at the Old Testament. Nobody was excused from making sacrifices to the Lord. When you were poor in the Old Testament, if you could not afford to offer the sacrifice of a lamb, what you offered would be... Uh, a turtle dove, or pigeons. They would be acceptable as sacrifices or offerings to the Lord. But notice, even though their sacrifice did not cost a lot, they were still required to offer something to God. That is really part of our reverence and our worship unto the Lord. And again, friends, here is where our spirituality will be tested. Here's something very interesting which I read. The Witness magazine points out the shocking fact 
that contributions by evangelical church members in America average only one penny every third day to carry the gospel to foreign shores. That amounts to 10 cents a month for missions. 10 cents a month for missions. You know how much that is? Five pesos a month for missions. Listen well. Five pesos a month for missions. How can you send missionaries to China with five pesos a month? How can you send missionaries to Africa with five pesos a month? How do we start a work with five pesos a month? How do we plant a church with five pesos a month? How do we send people through plane or through a boat with five pesos a month? How will people we send to those places survive with five pesos a month? And yet in our hypocrisy, let me say that boldly, we say we want the gospel to be preached. We want the gospel to reach the uttermost parts of the world. Isn't that hypocritical on our part to wish and to pray that these things would happen and yet we are not willing to participate in the work of the Lord by giving of our resources when in fact that is the very least we can actually do for the work of the Lord. Generous giving is a sign of being spirit-filled and being spiritually mature. Now, of course, I'd like to note that since the time frame is something that we find in the beginning of Paul's ministry, we assume that later on the churches in Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth later on matured and they later on participated in the matter of giving. So, that was the first occasion wherein we find they gave to Paul, but we find a second occasion, their gener generosity seen when Paul was already in another place in Thessalonica. Where do we find that? Look at verse 16, please. It says, For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. When Paul was ministering in Thessalonica, they sent a gift more than once. Here was a demonstration of their concern to Paul. Now, what was amazing was this. Paul was ministering in another place. He was not in Philippi. He was in Thessalonica, who were benefiting from the ministry of Paul. It was the people in Thessalonica. They were the ones who were ministered to. They were the ones being discipled, mentored, counseled upon. And yet, they were not the ones who were supporting Paul. The ones who were supporting Paul was the Philippian church. So although they did not receive any benefit from the personal and direct ministry of Paul, 
They wanted to give to Paul so that he could continue the work in Thessalonica to be able to mentor, disciple, and counsel them. That is how they participated in the work of the Lord. And friends, think about this. You and I may not have the opportunity to go to Basilan, to go to Kidapawan, to go to those very dangerous places. But we can likewise participate, first of all, by praying. But second, also by helping out these ministers who are risking their own lives and their own families. And that is why, friends, again, there is a practical aspect to all of this. And again, let me just quote to you 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, and I will close with this passage. Here's another exhortation coming from Paul. It says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. According to John MacArthur, double honor means number one, respect, and number two, remuneration. Two R's, respect and remuneration, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. What do you think was Paul trying to say here? When he was talking about ministers of God being given double honor, why does he bring the ox here? Why does he bring the illustration of an animal? What Paul is trying to say here is a very important principle. Do farmers feed the ox? Do farmers provide for uh, what they use in their farming, the animals that they use for farming? The answer is yes. And why do they provide for the ox? Why do they provide for, for these animals? Because if they do not feed these animals, these animals will die. And these animals will not be able to help them out in their farming. That's common sense. And so what Paul is really trying to say here is this. If we consider animals important to feed and nourish so that they can help us, why should we think any less of those who are ministers of God? That is why Paul says here, again quoting verse 18, for the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the labor." Is worthy of his wages. So Paul was just using common sense here. And he was saying, We have a work to do. And we have to support the workers of the Lord. Now think about this as well. From Philippi to Thessalonica, we're talking about something like 145 kilometers. In terms of miles, we're talking of something like 95 miles. That is how far Thessalonica and Philippi are. And yet, the people from Philippi were willing to travel 95 miles all the way to Thessalonica just to minister to the needs of Paul. What a church. What a great church. What a loving church. What a compassionate church. What a mature church this was. And my prayer to God as we ponder on this passage is that we, Living Word, Christian churches of Cebu, 
International Incorporated will become like the Philippian church. I pray that we will be a consistently giving church, not simply for the rewards that we can get, but because we honor and glorify the name of the Lord, and we want His kingdom to be extended, and we desire a harvest of souls. Amen? That is what we want ourselves to be. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. Shall we rise from our seats and let's close in prayer? Oh, Lord, you know how uncomfortable people feel when the subject matter of giving is talked about. I, too, feel the same way. But even as I am hesitant, O God, to preach this particular subject matter, it is important to you because it is part of our worship. It is part of our participation in your work. And my prayer, O God, is as the word has been spoken to your people, begin to move in the hearts of your people for them to appreciate and understand that giving is worship. Giving is part of the work of the Lord. And I pray, O oh God, that you will raise up among us generous givers, and I pray for your blessing and your prosperity upon them so that you will increase their capacity to share their resources for the glory of your holy name. I pray, O oh God, that we will not be selfish. I pray, O oh God, that we will not withhold anything from you. I pray, O oh God, that we will be consistent in the matter of giving. For, Lord, this is how we grow and mature as well in our spiritual lives. Lord, we will put our trust in you that the word that was spoken today will not return to you null and void, but it will accomplish the very purpose by which you have sent it for. And Lord, as we give our tithes and grace gifts and our offerings, may we be like that brother who said, we are thrilled with giving. We enjoy giving. And Father, may you be so kind to reward and bless us with abundant prosperity, not because we are covetous, not because we're greedy, but because our desire is to be able to share more resources to do your work. Remove the hypocrisy in our hearts, O oh God. Plant love, a love for souls. Plant a heart for God's kingdom in our hearts. Father, we thank you and bless you for this morning. And whatever has been achieved this morning, we will give you back the glory, the praises, as well as the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. A little testimony. When my wife and I 
began ministry, we had determined that whatever we would receive, we would give at least 10% of that to the Lord. As time went on, we decided let's increase it and make it 20%. As time went on, we increased it to 30%. And as God continues to bless us, we are able to give more than 30%. And here's our testimony. God has never allowed us to go hungry. My children have all graduated from school. They've all gone to good schools. They've all graduated. My two sons are now pastors. My daughter is now working with the church as part of the creative team, part of the worship team as well. God never abandoned us. And to think of the fact that we do not have a fixed salary, the Lord has blessed us beyond measure. It is amazing how God has richly, greatly provided for us. I recall a time when somebody from Malaysia, a Malaysian brother, provided money for us and he was a complete and total stranger to me. How God touched his heart to give to us is nothing short of a miracle. But here's where you see that God is faithful, that God will fulfill his promise. Do you know that the Bible says He will never leave us and, nor, never, and He will never forsake us? And did you know that the context of that has to do with money? So what, re, what, what the author of Hebrews was really trying to say was this, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will never abandon you in the matter of money. Money is never a problem with God. You know what our problem is? It's our selfish hearts. That's the problem. But if we remove that selfishness from our hearts, we will begin to experience the favor, the blessing, and the goodness, and the prosperity of God. Because after all, here's who our God is. He is a generous king. Amen? He is a generous king. So let's worship the Lord and let's declare in song that He is a generous king.